Welcome to the first episode of S Talk. That's S Dash Talk, as in Sequel Talk, a venue of humor and discussion and interviews, of performance and of social and political commentary. Now, this is an all-in podcast about the capital region of Victoria, but also of Vancouver Island. And by all by all in, I mean everything about the culture of this place. Anything that fascinates us, grabs hold of our energy or our creativity, or even our cynicism. S Talk is, I hope, going to be the place, but not simply for a tourist type soundbite. For example, I have felt the difference between locations where I resided and those I identified as home. And since arriving in Victoria, many people make this distinction to me, even when I first arrived. What can you tell me about this city or island that clarifies the difference for you? When planning for this, I thought about what a first in anything actually means, and how this first episode would fit with other firsts in my life. And there is a uh, a long list of firsts that I might select from, but I'm going to mention two. There was my first moment in the sunlight of street hockey playing as a goalie when I was 11. I still hold, I am absolutely certain about this, the international record for allowing 17 goals on five shots. And I can't overlook, for the record, my first weekend camping excursion. I headed out to one of those Alberta provincial parks with my pup tent, bedroom set, kitchen table and chairs, kerosene lantern, and 200 books. Picture my first night out, I not being an outdoor person, and not exactly under the stars, comfortably enclosed as I was by my comforts of home, after tying the front flaps of my tent into more knots than you could easily count. There was a reasoning behind that. I thought that if bears actually threatened me, I could cut my way out through the back of the tent while they tried to untie the flaps. But then I tried to light the lantern for bedtime reading, and to shorten that story, I did finally ignite that kerosene lantern, but the flame was outside it, not inside it, and the entire tent was illuminated to supernova intensity. Luckily, a friend in a nearby tent saw the blinding light and realized that I'd had a visit from God or a fire. He rushed over and after realizing he would never untie me, ripped me out of that tent using whatever means he could. And so I have to say, as I begin this podcast, I am optimistic no similar danger exists. I am not close to flammable chemicals or products as I record this. So here we are together in digital land. When people first meet, they introduce themselves. I arrived in Victoria four years ago, And in my first weeks here, I spoke with people who lived here or had lived here but were visiting. Everyone mentioned the glory of the ocean, the delight and inspiration of it. They would speak sympathetically, offering me emotional support for having been so distant from the therapeutic and mind-opening quality of it. I arrived from Alberta far from a real water source, and I grew up in suburban Montreal that was also not close to real water. Nothing that compares to an ocean, at any rate. But do not think I knew nothing about water. 
we did eat fish in my house. And although this seems very indirect, I learned about water through that diet. Few times a year I would go to Montreal's harbor to welcome home the fish sticks fleet. And I used to wonder as I watched those ships come in, were those fish sticks born already breaded? Or did the fishers do that after they caught them? So you're probably thinking, hmm, this is going to be a high intellect podcast. I hope it'll have some intellect, some insight, some pleasant experience, some everything. But I hope you will also not be dissuaded from sticking with me and with it and contributing later on as well, your own thoughts and your own ideas. My intention is to bring this acute questioning about the fistics to a wide range of topics and interviews, beginning tonight with that most prominent subject affecting the emotional equilibrium of many people in Canada, the presidential election to the South. People in the United States might be surprised that Canadians are affected by the struggle and turmoil in their country. But we are in the line of fire. Social and political developments can intrude into our society. So what is it that bothers me? I see in American society a signal of how we can unravel at the edges. An example of political conflict consuming a benefit of doubt and the benefit of interest in each other. Although I am distant in one way from what is taking place, I know the country through having lived there for years, studied there for my first graduate degree, and through enjoying many hours of conversation with American relatives and friends. So what is unraveling? The abstraction of the ideal of the United States. All societies have abstractions of their ideal selves and composition. All claim perfection. And all these ideals are tainted in some way, are built on propaganda to some extent. And all these societies and their peoples falter in some way. The United States, I think, is faltering. If you do not shine at home, you cannot project a beam beyond your own borders. I hear a lot about making America great again, but not about being great, which takes in more. Being great means respect for proficiency, but not just expertise. Respect for the infrastructure of care, for how we become knowing, educated. Respect for the value of becoming knowing in a society that has effect. The United States has had many persistent problems, but a stark realization formed in my mind with Hurricane Katrina. When Hurricane Katrina ravaged New Orleans, I was reminded of a time when Americans, somewhat exaggeratedly, believed that any problems faced by their society would lead to a gathering of people across many disciplines and of expertise. Together they would demonstrate American know-how, and no problem could easily withstand its efficiency and ingenuity. If Katrina had descended on another place in another country, in one of the so-named undeveloped or underdeveloped societies, and therefore inferior ones, an ineffective response of help and remedy would spark a knowing smile of contempt. Greatness is about achievement, 
acumen. Katrina displayed the shambles that the United States was becoming. Since Katrina, I think, capability has appeared weary. The U.S. remains a thoroughly dynamic society. My comments refer especially to the effects of rabid political ambition and avid ignorance. I realize my next observation stems from a feeling more than exact knowledge. I don't know if myriad actions and organizing are evident at local levels in neighborhoods across the 50 states. I don't know if a burgeoning of energy is clear in all those areas. My awareness of the presidential campaign is gleaned from various sources, and I am geographically distant. But my unease is that the Democrats are on a political playdate, that they are pulling their punches, along with calm declarations of new policy directions and condemnation of the government's COVID approach. Americans also need oratory, a tenacious renewal of the abstraction of the United States. The country, I think, cries out for a wide reform in many sectors. It requires precise announcements of new policies and laws, but also a vigorous rallying of the public for a better, more just ideal. When I am more pessimistic, one of my doubts is that the Democrats are prepared to be defeated. In the four years of Trump's presidency, I have heard many explanations of the avid support he gets from numerous citizens. My take is that many have no criteria for evaluating whether Trump deserves continued support or not. This is not supreme loyalty based on evidence. This is political eroticism, which brings me to what I suggest might occur in the weeks ahead. Three options come to mind. Option one, everything is okay. Trump's musings about an election loss that is impossible without malignant influence will result nevertheless in a generally placid vote and decision. Option two. My second option is more somber. As political results diverge more profoundly from social and cultural realities, the system's integrity dissolves. Not as Donald Trump describes it, but as the absence of people feeling the political legitimacy in their daily lives. If Trump wins the Electoral College, an outdated constitutional remnant, but forfeits the popular vote by three million, or perhaps four or even five million, the country will seethe. Specific states will begin to reject the national government in some very subtle and perhaps not so subtle ways. But more important, they will reject governance. They will combine with other states with similar antagonism to the imbalance of the political system. The United States will become less cohesive and less coherent. The country will slowly devolve into regions with varied social and political cultures. Polarization will undermine and then dissolve national institutions. In effect, these states will have seceded from the Union without formally seceding. But the country will not be permitted to retract into subset regions. The bureaucratic and technological entity that is the United States does not require citizens. Corporations will engineer massive intervention. Corporations will overwhelm 
and displace independent legislatures. They now influence behind the scenes through lobbyists and contributions to campaigns. Corporations will become government. Option three. My last option is the most dire. Just before or after election day, the government will deploy force against opponents of Trump and Republicans. This would be undertaken by black ops, militias, some police, and perhaps elements of the military. Anyone considered possibly influential in opposing Trump's second term in any type of current or former endeavor would be arrested, perhaps James Mattis or Colin Powell, anybody with a ranking in society who could act to prevent re-election would face arrest. I think all these scenarios are possible, and I fervently hope the worst of them I am mistaken about. I want a respected result that garners wide acceptance. The United States needs this desperately. Future episodes of S-Talk will be, I promise, less gloomy. I anticipate a wide range of topics and interviews and participation. Please join me again for episodes to come, which I aim to have available monthly. You can reach this podcast by by emailing s-talk at mistral.ca. That's M-I-S-T-R-A-L. And you can go to www.s-talk.ca, which for now is the site which will host this podcast.